Welcome back to the Weekly Roast. For legal reasons, we can't call it the Sunday Roast. How's it going, guys? How the hell are you? How are your hearts? And most importantly, for now and forever, how are your heads? It's been a while, my friends. It's been 18 months since we did a podcast. Or as a person in their early 20s might say, after spending less than one week in the United States, it's been a minute. It's been a while, guys. Look, I had to take a break from doing the show in order to pay attention to that ugly, awful elephant in the room, otherwise known as life. I had to get my shit together. I had to write a book. I had to sell my soul and flog a few goods and services on Instagram just to keep the wolf from barking at the fucking door. But now we're back. And I've joined the ranks of Go Loud, swapping the bedroom for the boardroom. It's finally time to wrap my thirsty little lips around the corporate teeth and milk the breasts of these media bastards for all they're worth. I'm losing, look, I'm losing sight of shore here with the booze metaphor, but I suspect you know what I'm talking about. Also, actually, from the bedroom to the boardroom sort of sounds like a patronising ad about constipation aimed at busy female working professional, doesn't it? From the bedroom to the boardroom for women always on the go. Smart is a herbal syrup that helps ease those pesky bowel moves. Anyway, we're back. We're back, guys. Each and every week, the weekly roast, not the Sunday roast. We can't call it the Sunday roast for legal reasons, okay? The weekly roast, there will be a topic for us to roast and perhaps a movie for us to review, chosen by you, but mostly me and my producer, Kieran. Whatever aspect of modern Irish life that annoys, enrages, or infuriates you, I want to hear about it. Please let me know. Completely anonymously, okay? Anonymously, you can vent your vitriol in a safe space, surrounded by those equally as cynical as yourself when it comes to this contemporary world. Just let it all out. Let it all out. Just like we do on Instagram, right? At Megan Mark. It could be people using their Instagram accounts to write eulogies about celebrity deaths filled with recently Googled titbits of information in an effort to shoehorn themselves into the cultural conversation. Now, I'm not naming any names. Okay, but let's just say it's been seven hours and 15 days since I've seen somebody lament the death of a person they used to openly ridicule. The world continues to twist and turn into ways and shapes that we all struggle to reconcile with. Anyway, we won't go on about them, okay? The celebrity chief mourners. We know the ones. The rigor mortis has barely set in and they've got the watercolours out. Imagine your entire artistic output being about depicting images of the recently deceased and then having the audacity to pretend it's motivated. I need to cough. By anything <coughs> else <coughs> other than a commercial interest. Now look, you can call me cynical, but I genuinely believe there's probably an artist out there somewhere now in Ireland in his bedroom, with a 99% finished painting of Sir David Attenborough, just waiting to get the news so he can make a few touch-ups, add a couple of strands of grey hair and get 50,000 likes with his You're walking with elephants now, Sir David, wherever you are. Oh, look a little bit closer. His cheeks are actually kangaroos and his eyes are miniature chimpanzees. Brilliant. I love Sir David Attenborough, by the way, so let's just... Anyway, welcome back to the Weekly Roast. It's the new year. I have to talk about New Year's resolutions for a second. And I know we're nearly at the end of January and there's no need to rake up old graves, okay? Oh, in terms of raking up old graves, you're worse than Barry Cowan's dick. Brilliant, Mark. We'll get to the saltburn gags later. Nevertheless, as we embark on another 12 months of the calendar, or as the most basic person you follow on Instagram will refer to it, a trip around the sun, 
one thing is for certain. We're going to see a lot of people making a lot of changes in their lives and then discussing it on social media. And before you think that my neck might be straining as if I'm leaning down from the dizzying peaks of my own moral high horse, don't worry, I'm not, okay? I'm guilty of it too. Of course I am. The opportunity to make a sweeping statement about improving myself and overcoming adversity before having to do any of the actual work is something that I find totally irresistible. Upon even uttering the vaguest of resolutions, the microdose of dopamine is already released into my bloodstream. So that by... Does dopamine go into your... Yeah, it must go into your bloodstream somewhere. So much so that by even telling people about the good things that I intend on achieving, I begin to believe that I've already achieved these things and forget that I'm at the base of the mountain rather than the peak. I get far too cocky, okay? With every DM that I receive saying, Well done, Mark. It's just insanely bad accent. I'm so, and people hate that accent as well. Every time I do it, people go, Fair play, sunshine. Keep up the good work, mate. It sounds like somebody from Drogheda, a post-stroke Drogheda victim. You're not a victim if you live in Drogheda. Nevertheless, I become intoxicated from all of the well wishes. And all of a sudden, the third week of January rolls around and I come rolling with it. Pockets full of billy roll and each one of my fingers resembling mini rolls of mortadella. I've forgotten about like the tall order of changes I promised that I would make and I've neglected any actual diet, regime, structural or life changes. And instead, I've basically just followed a few sexy wellness accounts on Instagram that encourage me to do absolutely fuck all and refer to countless strands of narcissism as self-love. We need to get to that. We need to actually do a really deep dive on the modern wellness world and how narcissism is being pushed out there and masquerading itself as self-love. But first, let's roast me, okay? My problem is that I celebrate too soon. In life, I celebrate too soon. It's always been my problem. If I want to lose weight, for instance, which has been my recent thing, because ever since I quit smoking, I put on weight because I, the addiction has to go somewhere, right? And I just started stuffing myself with those sort of like cross-on uh, Danish hybrid things. Do you know what I mean? Every morning with my coffee. Nevertheless, if I want to lose weight, which I do, I will exercise until I feel 1% different. Literally 1% different. And then the first thing I'll do is fill the carcass of a chicken with literal biscoff and suck the sauce from its buttery arse. As a victory dance, I celebrate way too soon. Even this year, for instance, I was determined to learn how to bake for the first time in my life. I know that's counterintuitive to the losing of the weight, but I really wanted to learn a new, a new skill set. So I spent weeks telling everybody about it. Literally in meetings, I was like, yeah, going home, going to learn how to bake. I watched one American YouTube tutorial, okay? But the measurements were like in cups and fucking pounds. So I decided to cancel the whole thing and Google house prices in Connecticut instead. I am the worst. I celebrate far too soon. Happy New Year, guys. 2024. Here's to plenty more, okay? I hope it's a healthy one for all of you and a happy one for some of you. Not for all of you, let's be honest, but for some of you. It's a new year. And let's be honest, it is an opportunity to be a new you. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the only person who participates in extinguishing the crushing flames of January with the hose of self-betterment, because there are quite a few. There's no one right way of doing things. Let's just explore a couple of the different types of New Year, New Me merchants, okay? In all of their unified, aspirational glory. And by the way, I'm fully aware that I say all of this with the what can only be described as free-flowing hypocrisy of a man who is about to release a book that has an overarching theme of self-betterment, which would probably sit awkwardly in the popular psychology section of bookshops, right beside future classics like How to Kick the Shit Out of Anxiety and The Door to the Staff Bathroom. Only joking, it's going to change your life. Please pre-order a copy now. The link is in my bio. 
I've got a wedding to pay for, okay? Back to the new year, new me merchants. I don't want to be too harsh. It's a sensitive time of the year. The days are short, the nights are long. The wind is cold and the joy is finite. The post-Christmas opulence is over and the January come down comes for us too fast, far too fucking fast. We're all a bit fragile, if the truth be told. The other day, I caught sight of myself nude from the side as I stepped into the shower and I had to book myself in for six sessions of cognitive behavioural therapy. The vast expanse of my pale white ass literally sent shudders down my spine and tears stained my cheeks of my face. You know that part of your body though? It's the one that rarely sees daylight unless you're wearing a shirt bought from Zara that's literally been in the wash for longer than seven seconds and all of a sudden it shrinks. It's the one like on the side. It sort of comes up from the side of your ass along your hip and then flows into your midriff like an estuary emerging into the mouth of a sea. Just wide forgotten mass. Nobody wants to see that. Anyway. You've got the people who post on Facebook, okay? You know, the, the sort of Facebook-dwelling troglodytes. You know these people. There's one in every town or village. There's usually one perched embarrassingly on a branch of your family tree who sends you fucking Easter Bunny gifts at Halloween, you know? They receive all of their news in the format of forwarded messages on WhatsApp. You know those people. They're sort of constantly worried about the spreading of phone viruses with the name walnut cake or apple pie. Don't open a message called whipped cream. Whatever you do, it's going to delete your phone and get access to your bank account. The same type of people who were convinced that the army were going to be patrolling through the Irish countryside during the pandemic and shooting pensioners on sight if they had so much as a runny nose or took a step outside of their 2K. They're irrefutable and most reliable source when spouting any sort of nonsense, usually with racist undertones or vitriol, is always like a friend of a co-worker. No, honestly, Denise, who works with me, it happened to her cousin. You know these people. They're fast and loose when it comes to the post button on social media. Oftentimes, sharing fucking pictures of lost dogs in New Jersey, even though they live in New Ross, you know. They follow a strict post-first and fact-check later approach when it comes to sort of speculating over who might have committed a heinous crime. The same people who post vague pictures from hospital wards, right, alluding to some sort of monumental personal tragedy, even though the reality is they're in there for like a broken toe because they fell into a barbecue in a friend's house after having three glasses of literally the reddest rosé one can humanly imagine. It looks like poison sunny delight, you know? They always like to blame an invisible enemy for all their own personal shortcomings because it's easier to believe in conspiracies than face your own failures. You know, the other morning I was lying in bed, right? And I opened up Instagram a few seconds after I'd closed Instagram. Because that just is something that I do these days. It's infuriating. Much like returning to the sort of mostly empty fridge when hungry and hoping a decent meal will have manifested itself on the shelves in the six minutes of my absence. I do the same with social media. Every time I literally, I will, I will literally click out of Instagram, okay? And then as I exit out of the app, I will go back into the app somehow expecting things to be different. In that metaphor, I suppose, I've just described, well, that's not a metaphor, is it? Nevertheless, in that activity, it's effectively a metaphor for the fulcrum of all my woes. That is the centre of my downfall in life, is sort of my persistence in repeating the same behaviours over and over again and thinking things will turn out differently, aka the definition of insanity. But look, we're not getting into that today. 
Save it for the book, Megan. Nevertheless, back to Instagram. I log back into Instagram, okay? Maybe this time there'll be something worth looking at. Perhaps these boring fools, aka people that I actively choose to follow, will offer up the answers to my NUI and boredom. If they don't, it's their fault, it's not mine. Hopefully, these tedious bastards, who I choose to call friends, will have picked up on my completely silent and subconscious pleas for interesting content and will finally stop showing me their coffee cups and morning swims and ugly dogs and spud-like children. Today, the algorithm is feeding me inspirational stuff, and that's my own fault. Again, it's all my own fault. Ever since, like, people seem to complain about social media without realising it's literally just a mirror of what you are and search. Ever since I got sober, guilty, I've obviously clicked, I don't know, (laughs) I've obviously clicked on one too many reels about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And now my Instagram feed is just a series of 30-second self-improvement videos from guys who only feel comfortable when talking in metaphors about a apex predators and constantly compare themselves to lions. Can we talk about those lads for a second? As if the most common job title on the Serengeti amongst cats of prey is to be a mid-level salesman from Bray with turkey teeth and a speedily depreciating leased BMW. Madness. You know these guys. They're everywhere on Instagram. A 24-year-old from Mullingar working out in a repurposed shipping container looking like sloppy Balboa with odd socks and an unwashed wife beater with the Drake tunes blasting in the background always with the Drake tunes running through the six you're just off the M7 Quavon you're nowhere near the six or Canada in general you should move to Canada you're on the east side of West Meath please step out of the cold and back towards reality you know these people In my opinion, by the way, using a phone in the gym to take videos of yourself is almost as perverted as people who record themselves giving pizza to the homeless. It immediately renders the activity null and void. You've just taken all of the good out of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't take you seriously as an individual if you film yourself in the gym. And before some of the virtue signalers and fun vultures jump down my throat, suggesting that sharing charity on social media is just about raising awareness, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm referring to people who literally film themselves ordering a pizza and then giving it to a homeless person. And they'll usually begin the post with, no, look, I'm not doing this for clout. Yes, you are. Of, co- of course you are. That's exactly what you're doing. Anyway, I love these fitness Instagram guys. They're always the same. Have you, have you noticed recently, actually, they usually have CEO in their Instagram bio, followed by the emoji of a little chart with an upward tick in it, as if we're supposed to be wowed by that. Oh, wow. A cartoon chart with a red tick. This must indicate vast sums of money. This must indicate wealth. CEO in the bio, without any explanation of what their job is, is usually translation for fraudster. By the way, let's just be clear. It usually means fraudster. What it really means is, I paid €200 to join a multi-level pyramid scheme on the internet, and now I flog the same PDF course to other younger, more impressionable people on the internet. Like, that's the game. Let's be honest. Once you see the word growth and or clients in the bio, you know that they've falling off the deep end entirely. That is the Mariana Trench of spoofferism. The word growth and clients in the bio is more of a red flag than someone on Tinder saying that they're not interested in time wasters or people less than six foot. Which is also mental, actually. How how we... No, this is veering into sort of right-wing terror. Well, not right-wing, but sort of like, I don't want to get into the... No, we're not... I just don't understand how women are allowed to dictate what height men are, uh, you know, to be... But if 
someone was to say the same thing. No, we can't. We probably, my producer Kieran's looking at me going, you're done, you're finished, you're over. Anyway, some of the fitness guys on Instagram, I love them. Have you noticed the trend with these fitness guys when it comes to New Year's resolution? They almost hate resolutions because that's what they do all the time anyway. Like, So they'll post something like, New Year's resolutions are just for cowards. Who need to who need some arbitrary time of the month to meet these unfinished goals from previous years. Goals aren't for New Year's, they're for every day. And real men smash goals. Once you see real men in an Instagram post, it's time to disengage. Do you know what I mean? It's usually like if you're at a dinner party and somebody begins a sentence with, Now look, I'm just asking the question. You know that something racist is gonna come out of their mouth, okay? What is your New Year's resolution, Mr. Muscles? Because you're already muscly, you've already done that. Just keep expanding the empire. What empire? You're a part-time personal trainer, and aside from the occasional bit of moonlighting as a dancer for hen parties in Carrick on Shannon, you don't really have many sort of... We don't really see any empires here. Anyway, the other morning, I log into Instagram, and just as the sunlight of the oncoming day meets my eye, and the iPhone-shaped pacifier is in my hand, I start looking around at the internet. And then this particular morning, I'm greeted by, I shit you not, okay? I'm greeted by a man in his late 30s, if not early 40s, sitting in a wheelie bin in his mum's back garden, filled with presumably ice cold water, but we didn't fact check that, we just assume, we have to assume, assumably filled from the garden tap, and he's dishing out life advice. Let me repeat that. There is a man sitting in a literal green bin Recycling, of course they're recycled obviously mate, he's in the green bin, brilliant, platitudes about self-improvement. Whilst adding in a few curse words as well, you know, just to appeal to the TikTok generation. Now maybe I'm getting old, well you are getting old Mark, you're 33, but, I'm 26, but I just don't understand this. Why are you standing on top of empty packets of potato waffles and crushed cartons of milk? There's dripping wet newspaper in between your toes Gary. Why do you expect me to be inspired? Like, I saw one the other day and he goes, most people will tell you not to do anything. Will they? Most people will tell you... What? This accent... Anyway, go. Most people will tell you not to do anything. Most people will tell you to just sit in the couch and watch Netflix. No, they wouldn't. I don't know anybody that would... Most people will tell you not to pursue your dreams. Again, I don't know one person in my life who go, Mark, listen, don't pursue your dreams, okay? What sort of fucking brain bleed would result in somebody being susceptible to, for falling for this as inspirational? This is madness. Most people will tell you do nothing. No, they wouldn't. Why, why are you in a fucking bin? This is insanity. I don't answer to anybody but myself. I'm fairly sure the customer service team in Panda would like to have a word, Gary. The neighbours down the road in 53 of the cul-de-sac have reported the theft of their green bin by a pervert with tribal tattoos and an Under Armour tracksuit. They've caught the whole thing on their ring doorbell. You did it in broad daylight. Climb out of that bin, bring in your mum's washing, wash the bin juice off your ties. We've had to wash those fucking bedsheets of yours three nights a week. This is madness. What I find the most remarkable about these videos are it's got like 2 million views. Comments underneath. Wow, bro, keep killing it. Killing it. He's in a bin. The moment that many of you have been waiting for. It's the first episode of The Movie Club. 
which is sort of like an episode within the episode, nevertheless. The movie club. A couple of weeks ago, I watched Saltburn, posted about it on Instagram. Everybody was going crazy about Saltburn. We then thought, will we set up a movie club where me and you guys watch a different film every week and we review it together? Saltburn, they're saying, is potentially the most divisive film of the year. If you have been living beneath a rock, okay? Ironically, the director of Saltburn assumed the audience has been, by the way, but we'll get to that. Please do not proceed, because there will be spoilers. In fact, there will be... Everything is a spoiler. This whole entire section is just one large spoiler. So if you haven't seen Saltburn, you just need to watch it. You, there, there should also be a statute of limitations when it comes to spoilers. You know what I mean? Like, Saltburn has captured the attention of the universe for the last couple of months. Like, get your shit together and watch it, okay? Just to bring us all up to speed, okay? The generic description of the movie Saltburn is that it is set in Oxford and North Hampshire, England. The film follows an Oxford University student who becomes enticed with a popular and aristocratic student within his university who later invites him to spend the summer at his eccentric family's estate. Okay. Look, before I get into the opinions, and I've been sent in some incredible opinions by you, uh, in all honesty, there was a few voice notes that I had to leave out because they were so outrageous, and also, so many of them, I had to prevent myself and to hold back from just roasting the actual way that some of the voices sounded, but we, we won't dwell. So burn, okay, I thought was good. It was interesting... But it was interesting in the same way it's interesting to watch a teenager with ADHD eat two packets of Skittles and then walk into a double period of science class. You knew it was going to be chaos, okay? You knew that mayhem was going to happen and you could probably predict most of the manic slop that was about to unfold, but you still watch it because it's colourful and it's a break from the norm and who doesn't love seeing somebody get poked in the ass with a compass stolen out of a math set? That was the sorest thing on earth, actually. Gotcha. You've punctured my fucking ass. Like, that's not a trick. Anyway, if you want my honest opinion, I thought Saul Byrne was a 7 out of 10. The replies I got from people, it's, it's definitely the most divisive thing I've ever posted about on Instagram. I got one message from an Instagram user, user the other night. His handle is furrylord74, okay? So, in case you thought that that doesn't give away, you know, the type of guy he was, his message was, I laughed, I cried, I almost tore a lung laughing. Saltburn is a fucked up modern day masterpiece. Okay, relax there, MySpace goth from 2005. He continued, it was like I was caught in a fever dream and all of my craziest thoughts were made into a movie. That's your craziest thought. Barry Cohen dancing around a mansion in the nip. That's your... You sound like somebody who would... You, you, you literally need white spirits to remove the Dorito stains from your fingertips. You swamp-dwelling pervert. You'll probably be buried in a gamer chair. Do you know what I mean? Saltburn is a masterpiece for the same type of people who might be moved to tears by a Banksy street mur mural, you know, depicting a mischievous rat stealing from a police officer's back pocket. And that's not a go at Banksy or rats. I just don't think the movie was that complicated or brilliant, you know? If the furthest you've ever veered from your bedroom is the Netflix top 10, well, there, yeah, of course you're going to be shocked. Firstly, I thought the director was arrogant. I believe that the director of this film was somebody who had 
probably brilliant experience directing music videos and I haven't looked uh, him or her up enough so I probably should have before I decided to arrogantly do a podcast about it. But I, I feel like it was the work of somebody who would be brilliant at directing music videos and then all of a sudden found themselves getting the budget for a feature. Secondly, they took us as the audience for complete fools. You know, they... They spelled everything out in the final scene with the fucking finger paints, you know, lest we missed a single beat of this arrhythmic flame, you know, this arrhythmic fucking 90 minutes or however long it ran for. And, but then also they explained the very end, but then there's so many massive plot holes that they don't fill in that I'm just like, oh, you're expecting us to believe that and be idiots. But then you also feel like the whole thing needs to be explained to us in the end. Do you I'm not explaining that very well, but basically I just feel like they took the audience for morons. I suppose they'd, they'd be right to because, <laughs> let's be honest, if if a billion people saw the film, which they you know did maybe if a couple of hundred million people saw it, a large portion of those are morons. Anyway, what I don't understand is how Oliver goes so quickly from being this perverted sort of lingerer, you know, a, a complete social pariah with the etiquette of uh, a toddler me, he's got the etiquette of me as a toddler for the first few minutes in a stranger's house. Do you ever get that? You know, when you were a toddler and you'd be brought over to a stranger's house and for the first like 15 minutes, you'd have to hide behind your mum's legs and you just look at the floor if somebody offered you a Capri Sun or an Umbongo, you know? Do you remember Umbongos actually? But within 30 minutes, you'd be up on the roof with one of the dad's golf clubs conducting the rest of the children like a youth orchestra. It, it annoyed me the way... Oliver's character was was so I- extremely uncomfortable being around people for the first whatever nineteen minutes or so of the film. But then, as soon as he gets to Saltburn, he's he's waltzing around with the confidence of a coked up South Dublin accountant. Do you know what I mean? He's able to he's able to woo anybody and chat to anybody at their own level, and he. The transition was just far too quick. And I know some people say that he was a psychopath from the outset or perhaps he was radicalised by the reaction to the death of Pamela. Um, Do you remember when Pamela died and the mother, Rosamund Pike, who delivers a phenomenal line, you know, um, (laughs) I was going to make another cocaine joke, but that won't help the sponsors. Um, Please sponsor. Was it whenever the death of Pamela occurred and Rosamund Pike delivers that phenomenal line uh, where she says, oh, that girl will do anything for attention. Lots of people messaged me and said, oh, that was the moment that he changed. But I'm going, well, hold on a second here. If he was a psychopath from the outset, okay, and his entire plan was to penetrate and permeate this family and, you know, destroy them, the death of an indiv- a, a bystander, a problematic bystander who was clearly troubled and also moved within, you know, very dubious circles of criminals and murderers, why would her death or their careless reaction to her death have any sort of effect on him? Do you know what I mean? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. If he, if he was a complete sadist and able to deploy all of these sort of really advanced psychopathic behavioural techniques of mirroring, blah, 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 he wouldn't have the empathy to care about Pamela's death in the first place. So that doesn't add up to me. All right. So look, 
there you go. Oh, sorry, actually, just before we get into your opinions, the scene of them playing tennis in tuxedos with your one in her knickers was like the outtakes from a good Charlotte video in the mid-noughties. I mean, Jesus Christ. And I know people saying, oh, well, that's you've just fallen for her trick because that's it exactly. It was set in 2005 or set in 2006. If it was set in 2006, why do they have Flo Rida Low playing it? That song wasn't played, in, that was, song wasn't released until 2008. See, there you go. She expects the audience to be idiots, treats us like idiots, but then also trips herself up. Because I think the director, who was the director again? One sec. Director of Saltburn. This is terrible. I'm doing it live on the show. The director of Saltburn is, yes, Emerald Fennell. Sorry, of course, the actress. You know, if if she expects us to go along with this whole thing and fall for all of these apparently genius tricks, get them right at least. Anyway, there's too many questions left unanswered for me. But look, that's just me. Okay, it's just my opinion. And let's be honest, I'm quite consistently incorrect in my opinion. And I also, in terms of celebrating too soon, I also judge too soon. So I've probably gotten lots of things wrong. What I'm interested in about, though, is what you thought. The other night, whenever I put up this, uh, the question box about Saltburn, I was blown away by the replies and the thoughts that you all had, the theories, the takes. Everybody raised some pretty interesting questions. I was also blown away by a couple of you. Like, a few of you watch movies in a way that I didn't realise was possible. Like, some of the stuff that was brought to me, I was like, holy shit, how many... Like, how, ma- how many times would you need to watch a film in order to pick up on some of these things? And then others, you know, definitely just stole their hot takes from TikTok. But look, that's the game. So, it's time to put it to you. The most important element of the movie club is that you guys have a voice and you share your opinions and then we go through them together. So, first up we've got Lauren. Let's go straight to Lauren and hear what her thoughts are. Barry Cowan great actor, great ambassador for young actors in this country. Look at where you can go. Yada, yada, yada. Well done, Barry. We love you. If you're going to do a Liverpool accent, stick with it. You're from Liverpool, not Dublin. My pet hate is people slipping out of accents when they're acting. But look, that's a very, very small thing. Okay, firstly, this is a woman of culture and experience. So um, shout out Lauren. Thank you for the input. I'm, I'm going to say I agree with her. The accent for me it just wasn't strong enough. And like somebody gave out to me on Instagram because I uh, I sort of complained about the accent. They were like, oh, don't be so critical. You know, he got most of it right. It was only every fourth or fifth word that sounded wrong. I'm like, every fourth or fifth word? If your milkman drops off four bottles of milk, right? But the fifth one is his wife's placenta. What are you going to say? You're not going to, ah, well, he got most of it right. Most of it's milk, you know? The rest of it's his cat piss. Like, realistically, actors need to be held accountable for their accents. And I just don't think the accent was convincing enough. Uh, But I do like that Lauren began her voice note with a compliment. So, fair play to you. Next up, we've got uh, Clara. Now, when she sent me this voice note, I genuinely nearly fell off my fucking stool because I just this completely went over my head so I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought if anybody else noticed it let me know let's go so I was wondering did anybody else pick up on the Harry Potter vibes I felt that you could get them right from the start even with the school and the library and then as soon as we went to Saltburn one of the first things we saw was that everybody was reading various Harry Potter books including the Goblet of Fire and if you've read or seen that movie you'll know that the maze is the kind of main focus of disaster um where Cedric Diggory dies um and he okay like First and foremost, I'm not a Harry Potter guy. I've never actually... I've seen some of the films like at random intervals. Of course, I haven't evaded pop culture for the last 20 years. But 
I don't have a cohesive knowledge of it, or I don't have like a strong understanding of the Harry Potter universe. But I'm I'm just in awe of how somebody's mind works like that, wherein she was able to pick up on all of this stuff. Or were they really obvious things that I just completely missed? He's like, you know, the handsome hunk, a bit like um, Felix. Um, and, you know, the centre of the maze was the place where they got transported to Voldemort and the centre of the maze was where Felix died. I just felt that the books kept featuring uh, in a lot of those outdoor chill scenes, which was like a bit of foreshadowing. And as soon as I saw the maze and Barry messing with the model of the maze in the library, I figured that's where Felix would likely die too. So yeah, wondering, did anybody else pick up on that? Absolutely not. I certainly didn't. If anybody else did, you deserve some sort of Blue Peter Award or I'll see if the guys in Go Loud can send you out a bouquet of flowers because that is bananas to be that perceptive. My hat is off. Now, I was sort of questioning as to whether or not I should include this, but I suppose at the end of the day, I'm not here to dictate how you guys think and speak, so I thought I would include it. This is uh, an interesting perspective from Claire. She's obviously a woman of culture. She obviously lives a vibrant life. She obviously enjoys all of the finer things that the world has to offer. She's an interesting person. Let's hear what uh, Claire has to say. The bath scene is a normal Saturday night in a gay sauna. Have it on good authority, so it's not really that shocking. People are snowflakes. (laughs) <laughs> Good stuff, Claire. Thank you for that. Tell me this, when you were in film school in New York, was uh, what semester was that uh, wherein they discussed gay saunas and um, the bath scene? To be brutally honest with you, though, I do think that she raises a good question in terms of the bath scene. Lads, it was not that shocking. And, oh, brilliant, Mark. Is that because you went to an all-boys school? It might be. Oh, brilliant, Mark. Is that because... Yeah, okay, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Grant, Whatever. Was it that shocking? No. I I suspect if you were to have seen it in a cinema or if you were in the company of your parents, then it would be horrendous. But like, just to see slurping the semen water from the bottom of the bath, I don't think it was that bad. Okay, so this next voice note uh, comes in. Well, it was supposed to come in from Ellen, but then it came in from Ellen and Barry. Assumingly, they know each other, perhaps in an intimate manner. It sounds like they're together in bed. I don't know where they are, but here we go. Let's listen. Hey, Mark. Enjoyable watch. A bit too close to the talented Mr. Ripley. The reveal at the end isn't as satisfying as it's meant to be. Kind of obvious the whole way through, but they big it up to be this big grand reveal. Vampire scene is also gross and unnecessary. Okay, um, definitely a couple of perverted sounding things there, but uh, I, I agree in that, like the ending wasn't satisfying. Him like painting it out for all of us, like as if we're complete imbeciles, was just terrible and cringe, and it destroyed us. And then I, I do believe that the final scene of Saltburn was dog shit, and it ruined my. It le- it left me walking away from the feed, uh, the film, thinking, nah, not for me. But the whole vampire scene. Again, like that's just another example for me as to how incomplete Oliver Quick is as a character because if he was a social pariah for his entire life, that would lead you to believe that he's probably not very familiar with sort of sexual activity and he's not sexually advanced or developed because he's apparently not able to talk or communicate to people. So how come all of a sudden he's very capable to perform oral sex on somebody with the confidence of Ron Jeremy in the mid-noughties and or 90s rather, and like, yeah, fair enough. Okay, the vampire scene wasn't really necessary, but I don't think necessary is a useful word when it comes to discussing cinema because lots of things aren't necessary, but they make, you know, they... It's just, it's just I, I don't know if that's the right word. 
I think it's, I think, yes, if you want to so, show him as somebody who can overlook things that would make the normal person uncomfortable, then it does make sense. And it is necessary. If he's like this guy who's, if he's a psychopath, not that you have to be a psychopath to do that. I'm getting in too deep here. Let's just say I don't think that it was that unnecessary and I don't think it was that shocking either. Let's go. Next. Obviously, the very alarming scenes in the movie, the ones that everyone's talking about, like the grave scene and him getting with the sister outside scene. And they're obviously, they were like so disturbing. And the bathtub scene, obviously. But they were obviously so disturbing and alarming and you literally almost couldn't look at the screen. Like it was so uncomfortable. But there was one, that that one scene in the movie that just really stuck out to me as the turning point of the movie where it kind of seemed lighthearted before and now. Sweet. Firstly, someone's got a case of the obviously. Secondly, you found some of these scenes disturb, disturbing and you couldn't look at the scene at the screen, but you thought it was lighthearted up until this point. Would you define slurping semen bathwater whilst on all, on all fours and obsessing over the resin left out of Felix's foreskin to be lighthearted? Just asking. This is actually a bit dark. Was the scene where Jacob Lordy and Barry Kogan, they're driving to Barry Kogan's parents' house on his birthday. And you can just see the whole time that Barry Kogan's character is like so uncomfortable and you just get this horrible sense. Yeah, you see, the thing with this scene is of the driving to Preston or wherever where it is that he lived up north. I, If he was a psychopath and if he knew that this was his whole, the success of his endeavour to dismantle and destroy uh, Saul, the Saltburn and fam, Felix's family and all the rest... Surely he would just be like, mate, pull over in the apple green there. I've got the runs. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I think there's a Circle K down there. Let's pay 23 euro for a chewing gum and a bottle of water. Do you know what I mean? Hey, I think, you know, I think there's a topaz. Mark, why are you listing off all of these businesses that could potentially sponsor the podcast at some point? But like, I just, I think he would have done more to to get out of the car rather than just like, no, I, I don't want to see my mum. Do you know what I mean? And like, I had such a knot in my stomach watching it and then obviously you know we we know what happened like it it was oh my god i i just felt sick that he was so deceptive Okay, Katie. Well, look, in between replying to emails from Nigerian scam artists and uh, downloading the Bank of Ireland app, even though you're with AIB and giving them your bank details, I hope that you've managed to survive the uh, gastro onslaught of watching Saltburn. All the best and Happy New Year. Next up, only joke. <laughs> So mean. Thank you for taking the time to send in the voice now, Katie. Um, listen, next up we have Mark. Not me, different Mark. Let's go. Okay, so there's a, a missing kind of context of how long Barry's character knew about Saltburn before he went to Oxford. So, just one second. Whatever the smallest unit of measurement is known to mankind, that is obviously the distance <laughs> between Mark's mouth and the microphone. Good God, man. How close? Are you trying to swallow the thing? Okay, continue. Or did he just learn about it when he started to figure out who Felix was? There's that missing piece of like, coming from a wealthy enough background, why did he have such a fascination on, on Saltburn all of a sudden? Initially, I thought it was he was obsessed with the family, but it seems like he was obsessed with the house all of a sudden. Yeah, again, we needed more context. Did he know about Saltburn all along? Was it all part of his master plan to get Saltburn? What is the obsession there? I mentioned something on Instagram which I think could be worthwhile. What would make what would have made it very interesting to me would have been if Oliver Quick had some connection to one of the previous guests of Saltburn, right? And this was an act of vengeance. 
That would have had me on board. If one of his cousins a decade ago had been wheeled out to Saltburn and subjected to their sort of, I guess, aristocratic indifference, then it makes it interesting. Then he's got a reason. Then there's a fucking, there's a method to this madness. Otherwise, it's just like, why have you sort of arbitrarily tro- chosen Felix's family? Are you, do you fancy Felix? And if you fancy Felix, all the other stuff, do you know what I mean? Great points by Mark. Next up, we've Kira. Let's go. So basically, I definitely think we need to look into the butler more. So like, he was the only one who didn't get the rat of Oliver. Okay, there are genuine ventriloquists on MDMA that couldn't speak that fast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know the way WhatsApp messages come in at either 1.5 or 2 times the speed? That's on about 23, Kira. I couldn't even focus on what you were saying. We're going to have to listen to that again. That was the fastest human voice ever recorded. So basically, I definitely think we need to look into the butler more. So like, he was the only one who didn't get the rat of Oliver. He seemed to kind of eyeball him up all the time as well, kind of like in the corner, kind of watching him from afar and stuff. Yeah, I, I do. Okay, I managed to get the thing about the butler. Yeah, I completely agree, Kira. Like, in terms of the butler, what's going on there? What is going on there? Continue. Yeah, it explains why he was so upset after Pamela's death that he kind of got the realisation that they don't care about anyone, not even their friends. So if, like, tomorrow they could just send me back off again, back to my normal life and not give a shit about what happens to me. And I think maybe that was the turning point for Oliver where he turned from, like, being a little bit of a weirdo to, like, an absolute psychopath and went and killed everyone. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. What do you mean a little bit of a weirdo? A little bit of a weirdo in what way? A guy that creates fictional fucking parents and then kills them. That's not a little bit of a weirdo. That's fully-fledged madness. So... That's the major inconsistency in the movie that I, I couldn't really reconcile with. For me, the most important scene, which none of us ever spoke about, we haven't spoke about yet, was the runny egg scene. That, for me, was the most distor- uh, disturbing. So there you go. There are your thoughts. There are so many more voice notes. I'm very sorry that I didn't include all of them. However, there were some voice notes that are very questionable voices, and I wanted to slag them, but then that could have been mean. That could have been perceived as roasting. And that's too much of a risk, all right? Sort of like the end of a packet of popcorn. You know, the end of a packet of popcorn when you get to the bottom of the bag. The final three present, and you don't know if you're going to get the perfect salty kernel or lose three of your back teeth. There's just too much risk. So I played it safe. Saltburn. Thank you so much for listening, guys. It feels very, very good to be back recording podcasts. It's been far too long. And thank you everybody who's shown me support on Instagram, at Megan Mark, over the last 18 months since I last recorded, since we last released a show. Thank you to everybody who's came to one of the live shows last year. And thank you to everybody who has pre-ordered a copy of the book. If you haven't pre-ordered a copy of my book, please consider it. The link is in my bio. So listen, The Movie Club, The Weekly Roast. Every week, guys. We're going to be reviewing stuff. We're going to be roasting stuff. We might even throw in a little bit of romance stuff as well. It's all ahead of us. DM me on Instagram at Megan Mark with whatever movie you want me to roast. DM me on Instagram at Megan Mark with whoever you want me to roast. DM me on Instagram at Megan Mark with the life experiences that you think deserve roasting. It's all open. It's all available. It's all there for the roasting and the reviewing and potentially the romancing. We're going to be back every Wednesday on the Go Loud app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Weekly Roast. Can't call it the Sunday Roast for legal reasons. Mark Megan's Weekly Roast. Every Wednesday. No messing. Through hail or shine. 
Let me know what you thought of the show. DM me on Instagram, at Megan Mark. All the best. I hope you're having a good week. Let's go.